Welcome to the Cyber Guy Podcast, your source for engaging cyber education, cyber discussions, and a look at current cyber news and trends with retired FBI Special Agent Darren Mott. Hello, friends. Welcome to April Fool's Day 2022. In this episode of the Cyber Guy podcast, we're going to talk to Jimmy Arbelez of St. Jude, who is going to recap his worst April Fool's Day ever. What he thought started off as a joke turned out not to be so. So we'll have that later in the show. But start off this week, we are going to do a quick little educational look at the nature of nation state threats. So I'm going to give away a little bit of the interview in that um, the company that Jimmy was working at at the time was compromised by what turned out to be Chinese state-sponsored hackers. Um, And so if we look at the history of state-sponsored hacking, when did it start? Well, chances are it probably started pretty soon after 1988 when the Internet first came online. Uh, But it really started to pick up steam largely in the late 90s uh, when Largely, Russian intelligence services realized that computer networks were a great source of information. Now, I'm basing this on my own experience and what I know in cases that I worked or was aware of during my time in the Bureau and uh, across the USIC. We won't be giving out any state-sponsored secrets here. This is just kind of a general timeline of how this has become really what is, I would argue, the largest problem we have today, and that is nation states utilizing their intelligence services to hack businesses and individuals and then things like that. So 19, in the late nineties, Russians started doing things. Uh, there's a famous case called Buckshot Yankee. You can certainly look it up. It's a lot of open source information on that, but essentially they planted thumb drives or they dropped thumb drives in parking lots at near military bases and people would pick up the thumb drives and late nineties, when you found a thumb drive, you're thinking, Hey, free, free storage. Let's see what's on here. Maybe music or videos, whatever. And, uh, folks would pick them up, stick them in there computer network are in their computer and it would compromise the network. Bad things happened and, you know, went on from there. And then, and, and this particular, um, this particular look at nation states is, is going to be a very compressed timeline. There's a lot more to what I'm going to talk about. This is just a general educational look at it. And then in 2003, Time Magazine came out with an article titled Titan Rain. And it had to do with a guy from Silicon Valley, I believe, who had done some investigation of someone who'd hacked his company. I'm generalizing a lot of this, but he traced it back to the country of China. And around this time, the FBI had just started the cyber division, uh, and they were focused largely on computer intrusions. Uh, child pornography was a big thing. Intellectual property rights was a big thing at the time. And we, the FBI finally put together a whole operational division to deal with cyber matters, specifically intrusions and some other stuff. At at the time, it was kind of anything computer related. It it morphed over time. But three years, three or four years later, the national security side of the cyber was was formed to look specifically at nation states utilizing cyber tradecraft to conduct intrusions in the United States, taking over of computer networks, stealing information, and things like that. And so that's when the FBI started really looking at China, Russia, the USIC in general. It wasn't just the FBI. FBI, all of our USIC partners were looking at this activity and trying to figure out really who was doing it. Was it the PLA? Was it the MSS? Was it the FSB? You know, spoiler alert, turned out to be all of them in some way, shape, or form. GRU in Russia, the SVR. Any, and, and let's be honest, the US was using its resources to do some more stuff in those countries. The difference here is 
the U.S. was not using intelligence services to compromise private businesses overseas for the use and and benefit of private companies here. That's exactly what China does. Russia does a little bit of that, but theirs is a little different perspective on what they're looking for. Theirs is mostly geopolitical and economic. Um, but that was in, you know, from 2007 on. And then the kind of the floodgates opened in 2013. Mandiant, a cybersecurity company that does incident response, remediation, a whole host of things, monitoring, so on, released a report called APT-1, Exposing One of China's Cyber Espionage Units. I'm going to read a little bit from the executive summary, but it says here that since 2004, Mandiant has investigated computer security breaches at hundreds of organizations around the world. The majority of these security breaches were attributed to advanced threat actors referred to as the advanced persistent threat. We first published details about APT in our January 2010 M-Trends report. As we stated in the report, our position was that the Chinese government may authorize this activity, but there's no way to determine the extent of its involvement. Now, three years later, we have evidence required to change our assessment. The details we have analyzed during hundreds of investigations convince us that the groups conducting these activities are based primarily in China and that the Chinese government is aware of them. So this was really the first time someone directly tied activities by Chinese actors to the Chinese government, um, at least in public. So USIC kind of knew it was going on, just but it was, you know, a lot of the information we deal with is classified, couldn't talk about it. This was the first kind of public release of this that could people could discuss it. And a couple months later, the FBI indicted five Chinese actors from APT-1. And APT-1 is attributed to the People Liber- People's Liberation Army Unit 61398 is, the, is its designation. Now, I do believe, so I recorded the interview that we're going to have in a few minutes earlier this week, and I think I said 63198. So I might have mis- mislabeled that PLA unit, but it's 61398. And there's more information in the Mandy. You can look up Mandy and APT-1 report, and you can download it, read it to your heart's content. A lot of interesting information there on how they came up with it. And there's actually, you know, here we are now, nine years later, and there's a lot more information you can find on all sorts of nation-state actors. If you remember the 2016 election, you had Cozy Bear and Fancy Bear were Russian groups that were targeting the campaigns. Uh, One of them got into the Democratic National Committee network. So, you know, this particular threat has always been there, but it's really expanded in the last several years um, to the point that the FBI and the Department of, of Justice are constantly providing reports about this kind of activity. So here's one that occurred this week. Actually, I think this was from earlier this month, rather, but it says cyber, this is from CNN, cybersecurity firm, Sean Lingas is reporting this cybersecurity firm says Chinese hackers breached six U.S. state agencies, a little different than we usually used to when we're talking about private companies, but obviously governments are still an important part of the Chinese um, nation state activity. So from this article real quick, a Chinese government backed hacking group has breached local government agencies in at least six U.S. states in the last 10 months of part of a persistent information gathering operation. Investigators at cybersecurity firm Mandiant said Tuesday. Now let's look at that for a second. In six states in the last 10 months. My guess is they've hit more than six states and had success in more than six states. State governments don't have a lot of money to put to cybersecurity um, and likely think that it's not going to happen to them. Um, so chances are there's more than this and more, more states will come out of the woodwork saying, yeah, we have this too. But again, more from the article, a wide range, the wide range of state agencies targeted include health, transportation, labor, 
higher education, agriculture, and court networks and systems, the FBI and U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, which is a part of DHS, said in a separate private advisory to state governments obtained by CNN. For agencies in two states, the hackers broke into networks using a critical software flaw that was revealed in December, just as the Biden administration was scrambling to respond to the flaw's discovery, according to Mania. This is probably the Outlook, uh, the 365, or the, no, this is probably the Log4j uh, software flaw. I guarantee you that's what that is. And so as is mostly the case, the systems that had log4j were not properly patched, allowed the bad guys in. We will see more of that going forward. But this just shows that this activity is continuous, continuing to go on and obviously will continue to go on. And that is our threat of the week as well is Chinese hackers, because Chinese hackers are looking to steal as much information as they can from whoever they can find, wherever they can find it, for the benefit of not only their country's geopolitical needs, but also they share private information they steal, intellectual property they steal from private companies with companies in China to undercut U.S. business. Um, something I've certainly talked about many times in the past and will probably continue to talk about many times in the future because it continues to be a problem that, I mean, most businesses, state governments here obviously uh, don't obviously recognize. When I was working in Cleveland in 2009, we had a couple cases where we knew the Chinese were using networks within our area of responsibility to hack U.S. government systems. I won't say more than that, but we had that intelligence. And when we talk in the interview here in a few minutes, it's the same group. The, same, the group that Jimmy's going to talk about was the same group we were looking at. They were all over the place doing a lot of the same stuff. So without further ado, let's talk to Jimmy Arbelez and find out about his worst April Fool's Day ever. So I'd like to welcome to the Cyber Guy podcast, Jim, Jimmy Arbelez. He is the Identity and Enterprise Architect for St. Jude. Jimmy, thanks so much for taking the time to come on and talk about the worst April Fool's Day you ever had. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks. Sure. Thanks for having me. Okay. So this is going to be released on April Fool's Day. Um, so hopefully people will listen to it and not think it's not real because everything we're going to talk about here, I assume, is real and happened to you and the company you're at. We're, gonna, we're not going to talk about the company, but we'll kind of talk about the, the incident and some other stuff with that because this happened a while ago and and we'll talk about have things changed how have you seen it within the industry stuff like that but before we do that let's talk about your background how'd you get started in cybersecurity and roll from there well I, you know i started uh, actually got into cybersecurity uh back in 2000 you know we were we were fighting the y2k problem at at the time uh in remediating systems uh working with some uh, contractors trying to get uh, a company that I was working at at the time uh, squared away in terms of that Y2K problem. Um, uh, from then on, I have, uh, you know, I have had various roles where uh, I've been an architect uh, for another company where I was folding in all of their uh, Active Directory and Exchange, their network and everything into a shared services model. Uh, and then, uh, you know, just uh, doing information security uh, for uh, at the network level. Also, uh, you know, doing some network security in terms of uh, uh, security uh, event monitoring. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, just uh, moving into the uh, director role. Uh, where I had this experience, uh, and actually in that role, I was implementing uh, information security policies and trying to establish some uh, criteria for, for 
for the for the company and doing some uh, security awareness training in person back then you know we didn't have any any uh, companies to go to at that time to uh that would you know we could click and watch a video or whatever it was just in, in person so i was doing that uh and then just uh working in the information security i had actually worked for a company where we were um implementing some things around pci uh, you know, trying to lock things down and, and in preparation for a, like a PCI uh, audit, mm-hmm. make sure we can pass that. Um, and then just uh, I got back in the identity space because on the technical side, because I wanted to get a focus on that because, you know, the industry uh, in terms of identity, I kind of like identity is the center of the universe in, in terms of information security because, a lot of the breaches and whatnot, you know, they center around uh, credentials being obtained. And so that, you know, through phishing or whatever, they, you know, were able to get in and, and compromise a, a, an entire company and, and whatnot. So before you got into um, cybersecurity or information security, um, what was your degree in? And the reason I asked that question is because a lot of, when a lot of younger folks listen, everybody has different avenues in so was yours school-based you have a bachelor do you have a master's did you just get certifications how did you how did you roll into that role yeah let me give you the laundry list (laughs) so when i first started out i uh i went to a community college and got uh i got two associate's degrees one in biomedical engineering technology and the other one in computer engineering technology and I started working with a consulting firm uh, back in the day, uh, working, you know, just doing uh, projects and actually uh, for the, you know, the Y2K problem as well uh, back then. It, it was, to, it was like, it was the associate's degrees at that point. I'm, I'm one of those people where I've had to kind of work my way up uh, through the industry. So I've got two associates a bachelor's and then a master's. I got my bachelor's from uh, Christian Brothers University here in Memphis. And then I've got my master's in uh, cybersecurity and assurance from uh, Western Governors University. I don't know if you've yep, heard of sure, that. Yeah, it's pretty popular the, right yeah. now, WGU. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, you know, I got a laundry list of certifications. Uh, you know, in, <laughs> back in the day, there was Novell, CNEs, and I got my master's CNE. I specialized in uh, directory technologies. Um, and also got the, you know, the Microsoft, uh, MCSE and, uh, I've got my, you know, had my CCNA. Some of these have actually expired and, and now I have like the active ones are the SISM from, from Asaka certified information security manager, and then also the CISSP. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So let's, let's get right into, uh, April 1st is 2008, correct? Do I have the year right? 2008. 2008, 2009. Yeah, so it's not important. It's one of those days. How did so? How did the day start, and what what happened as the day rolled through? Sure, let me paint you a picture. So I was uh, uh, information security director at this company. I I just gotten started in the role, and it was just a quiet uh, April, you know, first uh, day in the office. You know, you could hear a pin drop. I was sitting there reading my uh, some information about some of the uh you know the betterments that we were going to improve trying to put together a powerpoint for the board and things like that and then i get this phone call 
and uh it's this you know this guy that uh is on the other end and says hey uh need to speak with uh you you've uh your your internet facing web server has been compromised and this is the fbi and so like <laughs> a million things go are going through your head at that point you're like is this for real you know i'm like i'm kind of alone you know in the office it might have been around lunchtime and nobody was in the office and i was there and i was like oh man what's going on what's happened so and do you, do you when, have do you, i'm sorry do you have friends and family that would prank you on april 1st anyway that you so you were kind of expecting it <laughs> yeah but this one had this person had a little bit of an accent so i couldn't quite recognize uh uh, you know, his, his accent, it was a Northern accent. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, I couldn't place it. And I was like, is this a joke or is it not? And, uh, so I stayed on the phone with him and kind of like, uh, just asked, you know, what exactly are you talking about here? And he kind of walked me through it. Uh, our internet facing web server back then in 2008, uh, you know, you could actually do some shell scripting uh, to get in. You know, you could do that uh, shell script attack and, and actually do run some commands. Somebody had gotten into our web server and uh, deployed some uh, uh, command and control uh, services and where they could actually remotely control the server. And then they started doing their attacks uh, against government united states government websites and so <clears throat> at that time so did uh, you did you find that out right he, away or is that what he was telling you that was happening he was telling me that and then i was uh you know i was at my desk feverishly trying to get access to that server so i could investigate and look at the you know typically there's some uh, you know they'll uh hackers or whatever will leave some breadcrumbs around. And so I was looking around and asking uh, the person on the other end of the phone there, all right, so what, what am I looking for here? And uh, I found the files that they were talking about. Uh, and I was like, you know, basically, damn, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I didn't know what to, what to do at that point. And so, uh, you know, when you have something like that happen, uh, you need, you know, I had to, uh, I had to uh, have them uh, kind of call back, and I think we had to. Uh, I informed my CEO at that time of uh, what had happened, uh, and kind of getting her, you know, her feedback about that because I wanted to uh, just see where what her you know what her thoughts were on the subject, and uh, and so after that. <clears throat> I had to, uh, you know, call our COO and our CFO into a conference room, uh, and then kind of, you know, go through what had happened. We, you know, uh, we didn't have any breach uh, uh, response documentation or procedures documented anywhere. So we, this is just like off the cuff, on the fly, and so uh, notified all of them. We had some discussions. There was a little bit of apprehension of uh having the fbi on site looking at our personal uh you know our company web server and whatnot and so i had to kind of calm some people down and uh you know it was uh it was a little hectic at that point a lot of people you know 
Sure. So did you, I just got a couple, kind of questions, couple questions that come to mind. So this is where the investigator in me wants to ask questions about the investigators kind of thing. So did you have a big team to deal with this or was it you by yourself? You were a man on an island trying to figure out how to um, figure uh, this out from I that point. Have, I, so I had a team and uh, it consisted of, you know, we covered like uh, two states. Uh, we covered uh, Tennessee and Arkansas at the time. How big was the company? And, how big? Um, like how many people worked for the company? Uh, it, it was about twelve hundred people. Okay, so like that, so maybe probably bigger than a mid-sized company, fairly significant sized company, or kind of mid mid uh, some mid to mid approaching. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, right. Mid adjacent. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, so I had a team, but, sorry, getting an alarm here. About <laughs> no problem. Weather. Um, so, you know, my background was in the information security side, so I, I immediately kind of took lead on it and started just investigating and whatnot to try to uh, work with the FBI agents that were coming on site um, and basically uh, – you know, after the, you know, kind of some discussion about having them on site, then we actually got them on site. And, uh, you know, they went through their process of doing, taking an image of the server itself. Uh, and then we started remediating that server and getting it, you know, pulling all of their command and control um, uh, services that they had created off of that server and, you know, getting it back in order. Uh, but it actually, uh, you know, it, it was related to a larger uh, uh, a f a problem that was happening. Um, so, you know, Mandy had actually wrote a paper about this uh, in, in relation to um, some attacks that were occurring across the United States with, uh, you know, compromised uh, companies where uh, these guys from the uh, – I think it was the China People's Liberation Army had actually, uh, you know, they had their own hacker group and they had gotten in and they were, they had these uh, these servers that they had compromised and then they were launching attacks, you know, across to different government sites. But this was just, not, it was not only, you know, my company that I was working for is like, a, I don't know how many other companies were involved. It was quite a number and you know, this was all happening. You know, you could, you could see the screen, imagine the screen in your mind, all these little, you know, blips going across. So the Mandiant report, <laughs> the Mandiant report wasn't out yet, though. That came out. Is it you're talking the 2011 APT1 report that eventually came out from Mandiant that first identified yeah, the Chinese? Yeah. yeah. So so you were one of the many of uh, what we called MUCD 63198. It was, uh, I think they even, yeah. was their name? Sh I think they called it Sh Shady Rat. Don't don't quote me on that one, but whatever. It was APT1, I know. It wasn't Shady Rat. It was APT1. But anyway, so back to your, back to your, so, so now, the big fear for most companies, FBI calls. Well, let me ask a couple questions. Did you find out how long they'd been on your system before the FBI called you? Were you able to tell how long those files had been there? Uh, oh, I did, and I can't remember off the top of my head. They had been there. 
they had been there for a while. I mean, because the, the, the files have dates on them. I mean, right, that's but, what I was going, basing that off right, of. Right, but they'd been there for, I assume I they'd been they'd there been more there than there like a week. Months. They yeah. had been there for months. Sure. You know? and, your, and your ISP didn't notice any odd activity going on or that they alerted you to. So it was No. And when the no, FBI showed up, was it like 25 agents in raid jackets and their guns drawn looking to clear out the rooms? Or was it just two two funny looking guys with who looks like they didn't know how to put their gun on to start with and they had computer stuff with them? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was two guys and they were, you know, they were, uh, trying to be, uh, very accommodating, you know, mm-hmm. you know, coming through the door. Did your CEO <laughs> want to talk? Did your CEO want to talk to him? Uh, not really. Uh, you know, it was just a little shocking, you know, when you running a business, you know, you're focused on running the business. You're not at that level, you know, you're the CEO, you're, you're, mm-hmm. your focus is just trying to get you know revenue and generation and things like that so your focus is that and then when something like this happens i think the, the flag goes up on uh okay you know how's this going to impact things and so and the web server was hosted uh, was, internally to your in your business i assume right it was right there it wasn't managed by a third party at the time no it was hosted by yeah. us you know so who was in charge who it was wasn't cloud base who was in charge of the did cloud base even exist in 2008 I, I, I don't know. No. Yeah. It, it was, it was under my department. You okay. Know? Gotcha. It was, it was in our department. So, okay. Um, so what did, what did remediation and know. mitigation look like? Did you just clear the server, reinstall it and did, well, okay, let me, let me step back another question. Maybe you don't, this again, we're going back 14 years now, so I, I don't expect you to remember yeah. every detail. Um, but do you remember what vulnerability they used to give? Was it the IIS? They just found an IIS vulnerability that they were able to use to, to get access that you mentioned earlier. Yeah, it was the IIS vulnerability where you could, uh, you know, you could get in there. Uh, it was a where you could, you know, you could actually, I think it was ports query or something like that, where you could actually get in there, and uh, you could even run command, and it would open up a shell, and you could actually run mm-hmm. uh, commands. So and that's when they just started loading it up. Did this incident open the eyes of your executive? So I'm assuming so. If your department, how was your budget? How was your budget for cybersecurity before this, and did it change after this? I mean, I assume you had to do a full hot wash with your management. Say, here's how they got in. Here's why they got in. Here's what we need to do to fix it. Here's what I need to prevent this issue from occurring in the future. Or did they say, ah, it's one time only? So immediately, you know, immediately we were, you know, we're remediating and we're taking uh, recommendations from the FBI agents. Uh, at on site. Uh, but I would say before our budget was not, didn't have what it needed. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of companies just, that's the way they run things. Right. So, uh, but after that, uh, got, got some more funding, you know, for, for putting information security, uh, protections in place properly. I mean, I think the focus just went you know, it went up after that. Right. And I'll be honest, you know, in 2008, the, the ability for the FBI to do outreach to really explain what the threats were, especially nation state threats like this, because this was a Chinese PLA group that was hacking web servers like yours. We had similar instances in Cleveland and Charlotte was a relatively new phenomenon. Um, I mean, had you even, had you even heard of that before nation states using web servers to launch attacks against the U S government, or was that new to you? Was that the first, was that a, in addition to being, yeah, that was brand new. Sure. So how have companies changed their approach to these threats since, or have, I mean, I assume you've, 
I assume you're not at that company anymore. I know you're not at that company because you're changing. Of course. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. So how many companies between right. then and now have you been to? And have you seen a uh, shift in strategic priorities when it comes to cybersecurity regarding nation state actors? Or is it company dependent? Like if you went to a defense contractor, they would have, they would know. But like this, let's take St. Jude for an yeah. example. St. Jude has a lot of information that criminal hackers could use and nation state hackers could use. I'm sure you have a good infrastructure they could launch attacks from. What is, you know, yeah. in your experience since then, how has the philosophy regarding cybersecurity changed or has it? Uh, I would say, uh, you know, if you pictured a radar screen back then in 2008, like this was a blip on the radar screen, mm -hmm. one blip if you're looking at the screen. Now that screen is just full of blips. I mean, there's just constant – I've seen this actually uh, in other uh, companies over the years. It's just a constant um, attempts to try to breach and get in. I mean, you, you know, you would look at the – some of the logs off the firewall and whatnot, and you're just seeing all these uh, IPs that are coming from various locations, you know, and then, you know, you're, you, you know, want to counter that. You're like, Oh, okay, well, I'm just going to block China. Well, that doesn't, <laughs> that IP range doesn't help because the Chinese just go to, they'll be able to get to compromise a system over here in the U S and then just run their attack from that. I mean, it's just, it's just constantly adapting and, and doing countermeasures to try to figure out how they can get to you, you know, or right. get past your defenses. So with all those blips on the radar screen now, how do you, how do you prioritize which blips you need to look at? Is there, I assume you have tools that, and do you have a, does St. Jude's have its own sock to be able to look, look at events and stuff like that and a SIM manager and all that? Or how do you, how do you outsource that to protect yourself? Yeah, I think, uh, so I, that is not my area, but I, I would say this, the, uh, I think you know we're um, we've got various uh, providers that are actually uh, monitoring traffic and whatnot uh, for the hospital, you know, in terms of uh, attacking and things like that. And we're just having to do countermeasures and try to figure out how to adapt to uh, you know the changing landscape because this is constantly changing. So going back to 2008, was anyone ever charged? Well, let's ask your prankster if anyone was ever charged. Welcome back to the CyberGuy podcast. The, the, guy, the guy, the northern accent. Yeah, yeah. so let's, let's hear the accent that you couldn't that you couldn't quite quite break. So go ahead, Mr. Accent Man. Was anyone ever charged? No, they weren't. And Jimmy, it's good to see you again. And uh, this was just another day in the FBI and just another day in social engineering on the part of my part. Because as we go back to this story and we think about this, <clears throat> we get a lead from another office. I don't know Jimmy Arbelez from a hole in the wall. I can't compel Jimmy Arbelez to do anything at all. So I have to sit here and explain and make a phone call. Now, I had a very young tech agent who was trying to explain to me what actually happened that I had no idea because I wasn't technical enough to be able to speak the bites and the bits. But having an FBI agent call a company and go, hi, this is the FBI, you have a problem. So it was kind of trying to sit here and kind of trying to make the small talk to be able to get through the door. And that's the first time we see, that's the, one of the first times we actually see the Chinese government targeting a 
organization in my area of responsibility in 2008. And to be honest, we couldn't talk about this for years. Now the gloves are off. Now we can talk about these things. But this just goes to show you your plan. And who even thought about this in 2008? But what happens when the FBI shows up at your door and now we have to gain an interview with you? And Jimmy was completely blown away. Because all of a sudden, Jimmy's, I'm making small talk with Jimmy. I don't really understand what happened here. You know, Victor's speaking like a dolphin to Jimmy and, you know, bites and bits and all this other kind of stuff. And somehow we were able to realize that the bad guys got in and shut things down. So let me step back a minute. For, let me step back a minute. Hold up. So for those for for those who are new to the podcast, uh, you this is Scott Ogema, retired FBI agent from the Nashville division. I didn't introduce you when you came on, Scott. I'll, I'll let the voice do the talking. For those who are seasoned Cyber Guy listeners, you probably recognize Scott's voice. So Scott is Scott is basically my co-host at this point. So sorry. Go ahead, Scott. Carry on. I just want to make sure for those people who are saying, "Who the hell is talking right now?" That is a weird voice. Yeah, I thought you get a big good intro over here, and I'm like, <laughs> okay. But let, let's, Scott, let's go back in time. And, and Jimmy and I have told this story. We just thought it would be a great opportunity because what happens on April 1st when the FBI calls you? <laughs> you know, and I just remember trying to convince Jimmy. But what we had to do, Jimmy, if I remember correctly, I had to call somebody in Nashville who had a relationship with you to really kind of put this together. And you still thought you were getting pranked. Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely, uh, you know, you just, who, 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 I don't know how many people in 2008 would be, you know, expecting a call from the FBI, you know, it's just something you, you wouldn't think would happen. And we gleamed a lot of intelligence out of that because what we ended up seeing is we think, because so often I hear companies say, we got everything under control. We're going to block IPs. Right. Because that's the first thing we do. And a lot of the information security people, they pat themselves on the back. They go, we blocked all traffic from China. But we didn't block traffic, all traffic from Memphis, Tennessee. And they were using Jimmy's machine to attack clear defense contractors. But let's think about this, Darren. Mm -hmm. If a traffic's leaving a clear defense contractor at three o'clock in the morning, going to People's Republic of China, is that a red flag? Uh-huh. Of course. Well, what if it's going to just another organization? Is that a red flag? No, it is not. Especially in 2008. Who's watching it in 2008? You don't even know. You don't even know that traffic's going unless you have a huge um, cybersecurity platform to be able to look at all your traffic going out and measure your bandwidth and all that stuff. It's even today. It's even harder because bandwidth is so cheap, easy, and fast that you're never going to even detect the traffic. It's not like it's heavy video traffic. And we ended up sending leads out to 28 offices throughout the United States from the intelligence that we gleamed off of working with Jimmy at the time and me being a little persuasive with your CEO. And I don't know if you want to tell that story. I don't know if I have permission to tell that story, but it was so important for us to be able to have this we knew we weren't going to arrest anybody. We knew we weren't going to put anyone in jail. A lot of people, and especially the CEO, didn't understand, like, what do you mean we're victimized? Nobody stole anything. But they were using the company's platform 
to attack other player defense contractors and none of them realized that they had a problem. Nobody knew it. Nobody had visibility back then. Jimmy, do you want to do you want to retell the story on how we how you know I had to verbally twist your CEO's arm? <laughs> and if you don't want to, just uh, well, you know, I mean, we can yeah, I can bring it up. Uh, enough time, I think, has passed. Um, so you you know we had you guys come in, uh, you and another uh, person, uh, and we met with met together in a room I, I think i think i recall that we met and then you we just kind of walked through it there might have been some apprehension i mean there was definitely some apprehension you know it's just like man you know uh, what are these guys doing here and now we're going to let them have a copy you know I, I was letting them know that you know you guys wanted to take an image of the server and they were like oh you know well, it's just to look at the traffic not to look at any of the information on the server it was very, yeah. very specific. We didn't want to see any customer information. We didn't want to see any client information. We just wanted to see the traffic that yeah. we were able to do. And so, I you know, yeah. Yeah. You tell them, I mean, you tell with your part. I mean, you had to, you know, kind of give some, <laughs> well, <laughs> you had to just persuasion. One of the many times during my career and they just didn't understand the importance of it and you know at the end of the day it was like look you really don't have any uh you really we can't really force you to comply we can really ask you nicely and if you don't i guess i have an obligation to tell the re regulatory agency responsible for your <laughs> industry that you have a breach and then you can figure out what to do. But if you kind of cooperate with us, you know, it's still kind of protected. You know, I, I learned in my ties with the FBI how to use the extortion laws to my advantage. So, Scott, what did you so you so how did you find the 28 leads out of that box? Because I assume that Jimmy's company basically um, redid their web server so you lost that so you did a forensic image and then what did you how did you find how to do the leads well victor uh worked his magic and he was able to determine and he was able to recreate a pattern and be able to see here and unfortunately he is still on the job today and will not be able to talk about that until he retires mm -hmm. but there was just so much raw intelligence and remember this was not a criminal investigation at all this was more what we called a national security investigation. And it was so important for us to get that intelligence out. It was so important to look at the TTPs on what they were doing. And that is really in the infancy of our intelligence program. I guess I remember we and that was one of the few that was one of the first cases. After that case, the phone never stopped ringing. But it's the first time remember calling everyone up going hey darren did you ever see this and there were only a handful of people at the time who were really dealing with these issues that was 14 years ago and look where we stay right now yeah we're not a whole lot better off that i can tell yeah i mean i didn't the uh, the fbi and, and dhs just came out with a new report about china um hacking you know everybody they can get into and russia doing the same thing uh, defense industrial based contractors it's yeah it's everywhere so how do we fix it, fellas? What's the fix? Give me the fix. 10 minute. Give me a two minute fix and we'll, we'll, we'll solve the world's problems. Go ahead. 
I'll let Jimmy go on that first on the technical side. I think, <laughs> you know, I have yeah, my I, little bit. I would say that the primary attack vector is email to get into your company. I don't know why, you know, and I've been looking, you know, just being a technologist, I've been looking in at, you know, the vendors just haven't improved email for some reason. It's just, you know, it's still using the old uh, RFC protocols, SMTP, and, you know, it's just, it could be better. I think there needs to be some improvement on that side. But, I mean, uh, as far as, uh, you know, trying to protect your organization, I, I would say, you know, uh, a security awareness uh, with your employees is uh, – that is a must. You, they're your first line of defense. And so having them educated on the different ways that people can try to get in and, and different um, strategies that they try to use for social engineering and whatnot, I think that's, uh, you know, educating your, uh, your staff, your employees is, a, is, a, is the first thing you got to do. Um, you know, you, and the, the technology is changing. I mean, you know, as far as firewalls and the networking is actually changing quite a bit. So, um, but the adversaries are adapting. And so, you know, it's just ever changing. Bad guys, you know, they're just trying to get in. They're just continue to try to get in. And with the training, do you find the one a year, once a year training is good or does it have to be continuous and all the time to keep them engaged in what they need to know? What I'm finding uh, that I've found in my career is that the most successful way is to have like just ongoing training. I mean, there are some vendors out there that uh, that uh, have some um, products that will allow you to, uh, you know, continually test your users. Like you can test your users as far as, you know, phishing campaigns and things like that. Mm -hmm. And when they do fail, then you have a way of, you know, uh, letting them know that you need to be, you know, educated on this. So watch this video and whatnot and, and on what you need to prepare yourself for. I mean, that's what I've seen. It's just constant education because the, you know, the attack vectors are just constantly changing, uh, you know, and so you have to have a way to get to your end users and organizations are all remote now. So we're not in the office so you can gather everyone in a conference uh, area and, and kind of go over the security awareness. You, you know, you have to have some other means to, to get to your, uh, your employees. All right, Scott. And, and, and Judy, as you say things have changed, I'm going to push back and I'm going to say things have stayed the same. I'm going to say we're still dealing with the same issues from 2012. The only thing we deal, the only thing we say now differently is we use terms like ransomware. We use terms like business email compromised. We, the information security industry uses the term zero trust, like you would find on a cereal box, <laughs> you know, frosted flakes with zero trust. Here's the issue. The problem is getting worse. We keep spending more and more money. We're all looking for that technical solution. Technology is so important. However, if 90% of what I dealt with in my career easily could have been prevented, we need to change our mindset about this. And that's really what, what it's 
about. And it's, you know, having the technology in place, having the technical people, but getting the ownership involved, getting your C-level executives, getting them to understand this. And I'm going to throw it back at you guys as we continue the conversation. Uh, new reporting requirements. The president signs into law 16 different critical infrastructures. Now you have to report. So does my chiropractor have to report because he's part of healthcare? Do the radio stations need to report? Is anyone clear on this? No. I mean, I've just been trying to read this. Everyone's jumping up and down like, look at this. We got a new piece of legislation in place. I want to ask you guys, because I think if I'm curious, I know our audience is curious. Does anyone know what the heck that means or where do we start? Well, the first thing you're asking for politicians, if they know what they're talking about. No, of course not. They don't know. I don't think they have people in place <laughs> to tell them what they should, what they need to know. It's my opinion. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I think that, you know, they're just try- they're trying to create some rules. But I would say, and, and I, I've been a business owner, so I know that you don't have that um, – in your mindset when you're trying to get a business off the ground as like a small business owner or whatnot, you're not really thinking about information security. You're thinking about, Hey, how am I going to make sales? Right. How am I going to, to make revenue? Um, so, um, yeah, those requirements, <laughs> I, I would say it's just a, you know, a nebulous thing. I mean, I, you know, people, I mean, who's going to tell them that they're uh, that they need to do that? Who is there a sheriff out there that's saying, "Hey, you know, and who do you, you can't do X, Y, and Z"? Well, yeah. I just saw today or, some or who- some congressman wants to create the Bureau of Cyber Information or something like that, where it'll control all of the incident reporting and stuff. Yeah, that that'll be effective. I want that bizarre level position, but I think I've did a couple of things since I retired. I might be disqualified. So. Why would you want to take the pay hit? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to be a czar. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, gentlemen, okay. gentlemen, I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. And it, so the moral of the story, if on April 1st you get a call from an FBI agent, there's something wrong on your system, you should probably believe, believe them. Because I've told the story before yeah. of the company that didn't believe me and two other agents when they had ransomware on their system. They emailed the SAC of my division from the inside of their network where the bad guys were residing and placing files on their network, showed up the next morning, and the whole system was comp- was, was encrypted. So the FBI calls. Have a plan. You can believe. Have a plan. No. A- and the best thing. Now, here's, here's another question. I'm sorry. Yeah. I was going to let you go, but I, this just reminded me of a good question. Did you know anybody? I take it, obviously. You didn't know anybody at the FBI at this time. No. But now you do. And would you recommend that companies know their local FBI people before they have to call their local FBI people? I would say that they need to have an open mind about, you know, working with the FBI. I would say that, you know, instead of, you know, adversary, a friendly relationship, um, it's not the thing that you – I mean, I, I just, it's, it's still at this point, it, I don't think that relationships change that much. Do you, uh, Scott with businesses? Uh, 
That's a hard thing. I mean, the FBI has a couple of great outreach programs in different places. It works successfully. In certain places, it doesn't. We have a very high turnover rate. And I'm going to be honest, you know, when I was with the FBI, I was getting out. I was in a great place where that was my primary responsibility for a decade. And I loved getting out and meeting new people. And my agents loved it because they didn't have to see me. So they got me out. But at the same time now, there's turnover, people are moving. And, you know, and even with my conversations with the agents today, they're so busy. They're, they're so reacting because just think about it. They want to go out. They want to do outreach. And the phone's ringing off the hook with either a business email compromise, a ransomware incident. So they're not able to get out. And it's kind of turning into, I hate to say it, a quagmire here. That is why my whole thing is people need to listen to Darren's podcast. They need to be aware of the incidents that are out there. Because, you know, the government is here to help you. And the law enforcement is there to respond to incidents. But at the end of the day, you're not getting your stuff back. It's very hard to put people in jail. It could have been prevented. So you as an individual have an obligation to keep yourself safe and learn about this and change your mindset. And I think if I can chime in here, when I like, so Scott, I took your example when you were doing outreach in Nashville. I took that same example here in Huntsville. So anytime anybody called for an outreach, I would go. I would, so they knew people knew if they had an FBI cyber problem, they could call me directly and I would get them to the right person or, or do whatever. But you and I are, came from a different age of agents where we weren't necessarily technically cyber savvy coming in, but we could talk to people. We had the ability to talk to people. A lot of the agents now that are cyber agents don't really, they're very good at what they do from a technical perspective, but talking to people is not their, not the highlight of their day, let's just say. So, I mean, it all depends on where you're at. Some, some place you're going to have better outreach than others and those relationships will work. So what Darren really successfully said is, you know, we're old guys, we're the old guard here. And, but, and that's what we'd like to do. And I mean, mm -hmm. Darren, that's why Darren and I would talk about different outreach activities where the technical guys really would like to dive into the ones and zeros. There's no one surefire answer to it, but you know, if 90% of things could be prevented, take steps, go out, protect yourself. If you get a little cyber smarter, you get a whole lot cyber safer. That's what I say. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> All right. Fellas, thanks so much for taking the time. I hope your this year's April Fool's Day, Jimmy, goes a lot better than in 2008. Me too. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me on. Uh, yeah, I'm having a little bit of a storm happening here in the background. So All right, well, stay safe. I hope, the, I hope the, tornado, the tornado whistles aren't going off. Take care. So once again, I want to thank Jimmy Arbelez and Scott Augenbaum for joining me on the Cyber Guy podcast to talk about the case they worked together 14 years ago. And the same thing that happened then, continuing to happen now. A critical vulnerability found in a web server at his company was you allowed Chinese actors access to their network to do bad things. As we talked about earlier, critical flaws in software at state agencies allowed the Chinese to get into at least state six state government systems. It'll likely be more. We will probably see more as we go forward. For Let me close out uh, this episode with a successful cyber case of the week. And this is a called Operation Eagle Sweep. This just came out today. I'm reading from ZDNet. This is Danny Palmer reporting. Titled, FBI efforts to disrupt business email compromise scams lead to 65 arrests. And if we remember, email compromise scam is where someone uses email, either a compromised email account or a fictitious email account to get someone to wire transfer money somewhere. 
Um, you can go back and find other podcasts where I talk about business email compromise. But basically, from the article, a major business email compromise scheme which has cost victims millions of dollars, has been disrupted in an international operation coordinated by the FBI. Over a period of three months, which started in September 2021, Operation Eagle Sweep, that's an interesting title, I wonder how they came up with it, anyway, resulted in the arrest of 65 suspects. Arrests were made in the United States, as well as 12 in Nigeria, 8 in South Africa, 2 in Canada, 1 in Cambodia. The operation targeted scammers who were believed to be behind business email compromise attacks, targeting over 500 victims in the United States, which caused losses of a result of at least 51 million dollars. So I should have calculated what that out is. What's 51 divided by 500? That's a lot per, it's a lot of, that's about a hundred thousand bucks pop. So business email compromise attacks see cyber criminals use social engineering to trick an employee at a business into transferring a large sum of money to an account controlled by the scammers. More from this article, um, cyber criminals have also been known to use phishing attacks to hack into email accounts and monitor communications around real estate deals and contracts, waiting until the deal is about to be completed before sending an email from the compromised user, which asks for the real payment, but directs it to a bank account owned by the attacker. So law enforcement agencies around the world helped conduct investigations and arrests. Those working alongside the FBI and the U.S. Postal Inspection Service included the Nigerian Economic and Financial Crimes Commission, South African Police Service, Toronto Police Service, Cambodian National Police, as well as law enforcement agencies in Australia and Japan. Uh, Microsoft Corporation's digital crime units also provided assistance. A little public-private sector uh, participation there. Thumbs up to everybody involved. Was any money um, recovered? Good question. Hard to know. Probably not. $51 million was not going to be recovered because, you know, a lot of times we talk about no one's going to get arrested, no one's going to get the money back. That is starting to change a little bit. The money back, eh, it's not so much, but people are now starting to get arrested as companies trees work together because this is not an isolated problem in the United States. Everyone has this problem. My guess is all the victims were not U.S. victims. Some of them were victims overseas as well. So thumbs up to uh, all those law enforcement agencies involved. It's nice to see the bad guys win every once in a while. And I want to thank you for taking the time to listen and download the Cyber Guy podcast, telling your friends to listen. Um, also, the Cyber Smart podcast, releasing that periodically as well with information about uh, cyber new, cyber educational type things. So take a look at that as well. If you have any questions or thoughts, comments, any recommendations for interviews, email me, Darren at thecyberguy.com. Cyber spelled C-Y-B-U-R. You can find this podcast on all your fine podcast providers. And if you're so inclined, leave a review Give me a ranking, one to five stars. If you're just going to be one, just email me and tell me I suck. Whatever works for you. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. 